Since 1857, when the citizens of Ninager decided to organize a baseball club, the people of Minnesota have been crazy for the sport. In its heyday in the 1950s, the state boasted 799 townball teams. Today, Minnesota can claim more than 300 amateur teams, the most of any state in the U.S. Across nearly 160 years of organized play, Townball has spawned countless memorable characters and stories, and we aim to meet those characters and hear their stories. This is Townball Talk. Hello and welcome to Townball Talk, featuring this week's guest, Dave Kelly of Darwin. I'm your host, Louis Opatz. The storied history of Minnesota Townball stretches back deep into the 19th century, but, like any history, what we know of Townball's past is only possible through the dogged work of the historians dedicated to preserving its people and its moments. Dave Kelly is one of those dogged historians. Kelly played for the town team in Darwin, a Meeker County town of 350 primarily known for its massive record-setting twine ball, until 1957 when the team folded. Though Darwin hasn't fielded a team in 60 years, Kelly has devoted his time and energy to uncovering the town's rich baseball past. Kelly's efforts have resulted in an exhaustive historical archive in the Darwin Museum and the annual Darwin Night at the Ballpark, held every year in Dassel, which features old-time music, throwback jerseys, and a vibrant celebration of the town of Darwin. I spoke to Kelly at his home about his baseball past, Darwin's rich townball history, and the exploits of Darwin's finest baseball player, Lefty Miller, who was inducted into the University of St. Thomas's Athletic Hall of Fame in 2007 due to Kelly's tireless work. One note on the audio, Dave and I spoke on his patio, and you will hear the familiar sounds of a Minnesota summer thunderstorm building um, to a rather noisy crescendo. Uh, it seemed only fitting that the show eventually have a rain delay. Enjoy. My exposure to town team baseball, it goes back to growing up in Darwin, Minnesota, and uh, uh, our family was really into town, town ball. My dad was a good baseball guy, and uh, uh, as kids, uh, we spent in the summertime every Sunday afternoon going to a Darwin ball game uh, in places like, in Meeker County places like Watkins, Kimball, Eden Valley, Kingston, South Haven. Uh, they were uh, all m members of the Central Mini League. There was either six or eight teams at various times in the Central Mini. And, uh, so as a kid, uh, that's, what, that's the way we spent our Sundays. If uh, they got a little older, uh, we, uh, I was able to get onto the Darwin team and uh, you know, ride in the bench or whatever, that was a big deal, you yeah. know, because you'd been hoping for that for years. And uh, I remember as a kid, maybe 10 years old or so, the Darwin team would have uh, practice on Friday nights in Darwin. And uh, the uh, we had maybe two, three guys that had jobs in the cities or whatnot, and they would come back for the weekend to play ball on Sunday. And so they had practice on Friday night. And... Uh, I can remember that I hated to see it get dark because that that meant that that practice was over with. Yeah. <laughs> you know, 
because uh, and all we did as kids, we were out in the field, you know, shagging balls and mm -hmm. you know chasing around. But it was uh, it was a lot of fun. So what there, what was uh, what was Darwin like? Uh, like when was this roughly? What year would you say? Well, I was born in '38, so in '48 I was 10, and well, in fact, '48 Darwin restarted its team after World War II. Okay. Most everything town ball wise shut down during during World War II, mm -hmm. and a lot of teams got restarted in '46, '47, and for whatever reason Darwin didn't restart until '48, uh, and uh, so. But anyway, that. So I was 10 years old in 1948, and uh, uh, I, uh, you know, played kid ball. Uh, Darwin wasn't big enough. We had a population of a couple hundred people. Darwin didn't have any kids' programs or anything like that, but as kids, we played ball every day. We didn't, uh, you know, we didn't need supervision or parents hanging around. <laughs> <laughs> Fact is, we probably didn't want them. You know? Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, when I was 12 or 13, uh, a couple of us would ride bicycles to Dassel to play on. They had organized uh, kid teams, uh, and they had a, uh, a summer. One of the coaches in the high school, he had a summer job of running the, the kid program. And so we rode bikes down there, and we were, that was our, probably our first organized ball was uh, playing on those teams in Dassel. Uh, and then I, I was able to ride the bench at least on the Darwin team when I was at like 14 in 1952, uh, and that's the way you started out. You know, you were uh, just hoping for a shot. You know? Yeah, <laughs> like every kid, you yeah, know, a chance, a chance to play. And uh, so, uh, and I, I went to Litchfield High School and I played town or I played high school and legion ball there and town ball in Darwin and uh, that went until about 1957 uh, when our team in Darwin folded we just we just ran out of ball players so and uh, our our last couple years we were uh, getting ball players wherever we could pick them up. Usually that meant from Litchfield, young guys from my age from Litchfield. And, and then uh, Litchfield, uh, they, uh, they, were take, they started taking a lot of our ball players away from us. Well, they were Litchfield kids to begin with, you know. <laughs> so they would rather play in Litchfield, of course. Mm -hmm. so, so that left Darwin high and dry. And so we folded in 57. And, uh, and then those were uh, kind of down years in town ball because all over the state, town ball was f not fading out, but it was becoming less and less. And, uh, and a lot of t teams folded in the late 50s and in the 60s. Uh, and it probably took until, I don't know, maybe the 70s it started to picked back up again or at least it leveled off it didn't it stopped the you know the downhill slide that it was on and uh, I remember one year uh, to keep baseball going out at uh, 
Broughton, which is a good baseball town, they had uh, in their league out there, they had four teams and they were all from Broughton. <laughs> the, the Broughton, because they wanted to keep baseball going, they got a couple softball teams to switch over to play in baseball on Sundays. And they, they uh, I don't know, they got some old timers or whatnot to, to form a team. Anyway, they, they, came, they scraped together four teams that they, you know, they wanted to keep their league going. And Good rivalries, and, I guess. Know, yeah, really. <laughs> you know, God bless them. And, but that's... Uh, that's what it took, and uh, it kind of shows, too, that there are some people out there that got the baseball, the town ball, you know, deep in their blood, and, you know, they'll they'll do what it takes to keep things going. So, so you were 19 when the Darwin team folded? Yeah. So what did what did you do as a player? Did you find a team to play on, or what did you Yeah, what I went to, uh, I was going to St. Cloud State at the time, and... Uh, I uh, went down to Dassel and I played at Dassel for four years, and uh, then I got married and that was uh, I was living down here in the city and that was the end of my town wall days. Okay. Uh, as far as a player, you know. Well, yeah, and that's kind of what I was curious about. So, I first got to know you um, when I was working in Litchfield, and. Uh, through Darwin Night, which is a, a annual celebration that you um, helped start, that basically memorializes and, and um, remembers the the Darwin team that no longer exists. Um, and yeah, I was just curious. When I met you, you had such a wealth of knowledge not only about Darwin but a lot of different parts of the state for baseball and um, are, a, are a historian of town ball. So how did you go from from playing? Um, f- you know, retiring or stopping yeah. playing at a relatively young age, and then how did you become more of the uh, historian, or or how did you want to, yeah. uh, to learn so much, or how did you start learning so much? Well, when I quit playing, I was you know just in my early twenties, uh, and uh, we you know started having family, and uh, I mean with job and everything, we were just busy with. Uh, so many other things going on that there really wasn't time and I played a little bit of softball but that but I always had the interest in town ball and uh, after uh, maybe our kids had grown up a bit and uh, I uh, started going back to state tournaments uh, probably in the 80s and uh, so I I just always had an interest in uh, in the town ball and uh, always had an interest in Darwin and uh, I remember uh, being up up Darwin for their annual celebration uh, the twine ball day where they pay honor to their big ball of twine you know <laughs> and uh, so and uh, this one year we had, they had a new mayor in town and he was leading the parade rolling uh, him and his kids were rolling these miniature ball of twine, they were probably about uh, two feet, two to three feet high. The, the ball, they were these big rubber balls that you can sit on. Well, and he had wrapped twine around those so that uh, they were twine balls. So he was leading a parade r- r- with him and his kids rolling these twine balls down the street. And uh, they had a big banner up in front then that said something about we're going to keep Darwin rolling or, you know, and, um, I thought, you know, I got to meet that guy. There's a, 
there's somebody that, uh, you know, seems like he's interested in promoting the town a bit. So I, talk, I ended up talking to him about starting Darwin night at the Dassel Ballpark. And already at the Dassel Ballpark, they have been doing a lot of work, you know, to fix that thing up. When, when I played there as a kid, it was, you know, just dirt infield and uh, just no, uh, no uh, bleachers, no, no nothing. It was just a bare bones ball field. But uh, that's what that that's was like a lot of ball fields in those days. But so anyway, uh, fast forward. Uh, uh, Mark Forsman down there at Dassel and his crew, they had, they had really uh, done a lot of work to bring that field along over several years. And so anyway, uh, uh, I knew Mark and, uh, and uh, the mayor in Darwin is Josh Johnson. We, uh, we just approached Mark and told him we'd like to have a Darwin night, you know. So that was six years ago and we've been building on it a little bit ever since and we've had a lot of fun with it and uh, we have uh, one of the uh, our attractions is we have the twine ball races uh, down the baselines uh, this is between innings we do that twice during the game and uh, we have small kids doing this and the kids have fun and the, the fans they love it and so uh, we have, we get a lot of good pictures out of it you know mm -hmm. <laughs> so we just completed Darwin night for the sixth year and we had uh, the Lindell family from originally from Darwin, and they've always been big supporters of everything going on in Darwin. And so there's four of them: Frank, uh, Dick, Bob, and Margaret. And they, Frank is the oldest; he's like 86, and the others are just a little bit younger. So we had the four of them out and near the pitcher's mound area for the first pitch, and we. Uh, introduce them by telling a little bit about the Lindell family and their history in Darwin and uh, and how the family is, even though they don't live there anymore, they're not that far away and they're, they are big supporters of the town. And uh, So we had them uh, simultaneously uh, throughout the, the baseball, we had four catchers and, <laughs> and they came reasonably close to, the, <laughs> to their targets. and. Uh, we call Darwin Night a celebration of town team baseball, and that's what we think it is. You know, we try to, and we uh, we have a program too that we uh, produce every year, and it enables us to print a little bit of history about Darwin baseball and whatnot. Even though Darwin doesn't have a team, we uh, uh, we uh, use the history of Darwin baseball to kind of remind people that Darwin at one time was a good baseball town and we still think it is so well yeah so in in producing the the program and sort of preparing every year I know that you've shared a lot of the history that you've uncovered um, and I'm sure that's been a big part of the the last six years as Darwin night has grown but what what of the history of Darwin baseball in particular that you've uncovered have you what are some of your favorite stories or favorite maybe fun facts about Darwin yeah. that maybe not everyone would know about yeah. the team? Well, like one of them is in our program for 2016, we, which was a, we call it our state tournament preview. And in the program, we've got the team rosters. The D.C. Saints were playing Hutchinson that year. So we devoted a page to 
to those teams, their roster and where they stood in the standings. And then because it was kind of a, a preview for the state tournament, which was coming up that fall in and hosted by Dassel, Hutchinson and Litchfield, uh, it gave us an opportunity to put in uh, the story of the 1936 Darwin State Tournament team. It was the only state tournament that Darwin ever made, and uh, that year they took second in their division in the state tournament, and that was, you know, a huge deal for. And so we uh, we keep that story alive. Uh, uh, in that state tournament, uh, it was uh, a four-day tournament held on Thursday through Sunday in late September and in the first game on Thursday Darwin defeated Hancock three to one. The next day on Friday Darwin uh, defeated tournament favorite Owatonna by another three to one score. On Saturday their games were rained out and on Sunday morning Darwin played holding for it and won two to one in 12 innings and so that put them in the finals for later in the day on Sunday and there they went against Wyndham, and uh, it was nip and tuck all the way, and uh, Wyndham scored a couple runs in the seventh and eighth innings, and they Wyndham won the championship three to one. But it was a it was a big deal for Darwin, and so uh, we've got a nice picture of that 1936 team, and so we use that all over the place, uh, mm -hmm. reminding people that uh, uh, Darwin is a good baseball town, and we still claim it is, and who, you know, who's to say we aren't? We, <laughs> we say what it is. You know? exactly. So <laughs> and, in its... Um, and no one argues. In its uh, in its heyday, maybe around that time, um, you know, a lot of these small town teams feature maybe one or two families that kind of populate the whole team. Was Darwin one of those where there were a few families in town who had maybe some brothers or... Yeah. I had, uh, we were my f the biggest baseball family, but at one time there were three in our family. I, I had two older brothers that played town ball. And there was one year when all three of us were on the same team. Uh, but other than that, we, we did have uh, a lot of brother combinations, you know, maybe two brothers on the team at, at the same time. And uh, going way back in Darwin history, the uh, the Miller family was dominant in the whole county, you might say, uh, for their ball players. And uh, they, uh, beginning in, well, this is early 1900s, uh, they had a couple, well, three of them from that family uh, played some pro ball. One of them went quite a ways, uh, Lefty Miller. Uh, and then the rest of the brothers, well, there was, there was uh, ten brothers, nine ball players, and they all at one time or another played on the Darwin team. And at times maybe they, they spent, played a little bit for Litchfield, but primarily Darwin. Uh, and uh, when I was playing ball, our manager one year was one of these younger Miller brothers, and his I played ball with his son, and so there. Uh, and today there's still remnants of that family up 
uh, in the Darwin area. Uh, not as prominent as it was once was, but uh, so uh, that was. I would say that that was unusual. I mean, we've I've uh, done a lot of research on that Miller family, and especially these guys that played pro ball. That's it for part one of my interview with Dave Kelly. Stay tuned for part two after a bit of music and a short break. Townball Talk is looking for sponsors. If you'd like to sponsor an episode of Townball Talk, contact us at townballtalk at gmail.com. And now, part two of my interview with Darwin's Dave Kelly. Well, I was going to ask you if you wouldn't mind talking about Lefty Miller in particular, because I know in reading some of the things you've put together, um, he sounds like a pretty fascinating guy. He was, a, was he a doctor? Is that right? Yeah, right. He. Uh, I have to start with his, his uh, father, because he, the father of, in that family, John W., he was instrumental in baseball period as far as that family goes. And he, uh, as a young guy, he left his family in Pennsylvania and he, him and a, he and a buddy uh, found their way to Meeker County, Minnesota and where they settled and uh, uh, John W. ended up marrying uh, Catherine Dunn and the Dunn family had been homesteaders uh, on Dunn Lake, north of Darwin. And uh, John W., he had probably earned, learned his baseball in the East, but he had a reputation around, this is about 1890, he had a reputation uh, around Meeker County as pretty well, he was well known as a pitcher. And uh, there was one ball game with uh, well, first of all, ball games weren't really written up that much in the newspaper. If if there was something, it would might might be an inch or so in a small column. Uh, but one uh, he had one ball game where he pitched for Litchfield, and uh, he struck out 24 Benson batters, and of course that that was noteworthy. So that's that made the newspaper, and there were other. Uh, tales about him, how far he could throw a ball, and uh, in fact, they said that, uh, you know, where the GAR Hall is in, in Litchfield, he stood over on the, Sibley, the main street, and they said he would throw the ball across the park and into the front door <laughs> of the GAR <laughs> Hall. So anyway, that was wow. considered a big feat. And, yeah. Uh, uh, but anyway, so he taught pitching to his kids, and he had ten boys and uh, three girls, and uh, Lefty was the the second oldest of the. Bo- he was the third oldest child, and he was the second oldest of the boys. And uh, he was uh, obviously a left-hander, and. Uh, he, uh, I have a history of him pitching in, for Litchfield High School a few games, and uh, high school baseball was in a, probably in its infancy, and this would have been, uh, you know, right around 1900, 
1901, and he was uh, the best ball player on the team. And uh, again, I think it was things that his father had taught him. But uh, when he finished high school, well, I don't, I don't know that he ever finished high school, uh, but he uh, he went to St. Thomas College in, in uh, St. Paul. And uh, St. Thomas already then, in like 1904, was known for its college baseball. They were a local powerhouse. And uh, to the point where they even uh, played teams like Marquette and Notre Dame, the University of Minnesota, and anybody around that they could that was willing to play him, really. And, uh, and that may have been what, how Lefty ended up at, uh, at St. Thomas. But he had a phenomenal career at St. Thomas. Uh, and uh, he was there for four years. And uh, I think what he did was he finished his high school work and then uh, got a degree of of sorts, I guess, from St. Thomas. I don't, they, uh, uh, there was there was just a few areas where they, St. Thomas offered degrees, and and Lefty may have been in in that he was going into medicine. He he may have been in one of those areas where they didn't he didn't get a degree even. Uh, but uh, now all through his college days in the summer. He was out earning money pitching ball, and uh, he that started in the Meeker County area. Uh, uh, he started pitching for Darwin Dassel, and then uh, on the side, like in 1905, on the side he was pitching for other teams uh, for money. He was uh, one one period in two weeks. 15-day period it was in June, he had pitched seven games. So he was, you know, and, and I think that was for like four or five different teams. I have the information, with, but that's, so he was going where he could make a buck, and he I'm sure he needed to for his uh, uh, college costs. And then in, in uh, 1906, in the summer, there was a guy by the name of Tom Canty from Graceville, Minnesota, that was on the St. Thomas team, and and Tom Canty was from Graceville, Minnesota, out on the uh, or South Dakota border, and they had an all-paid team out there, and so Lefty went out there for the summer, and he he did very well, playing against other teams who had paid ball players. Now this is 1906, mind you. And then when the typically uh, town ball would uh, stop when the grain harvest started, and that would be late July, and, and they, then in those days they were raising a lot of oats, wheat, and barley, and uh, so Graceville wrapped up their season, and, and uh, Lefty ended up, he went out to uh, West Hope, North Dakota, <laughs> where they had all salaried ball players. And uh, he pitched the rest of the season out there and did very well. Uh, 
the following year in 1907, he went out there again, and this time he pitched for, which was near West Hope Rugby, North Dakota. It was right on the Great Northern main rail line out there. And rugby had all paid ball players. The, there was a lot of money in those towns, and, and in that area already there was oil fields. The farmers were doing well, and the, and the oil people were doing well, and there was just money, and they could, they could assemble these ball players, and it was a perfect opportunity for uh, these college kids. Like Lefty, when he went out there in 07, he took two other teammates from St. Thomas at the same time, and they went out there. So he pitched about oh, at least a half a dozen games there at rugby, and then in the summer, and then uh, uh, this Tom Kelly, who was a well-known man in, in professional baseball, especially in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. He had uh, gotten uh, banned from the American Association as a manager. He got in trouble with uh, name-calling of umpires, that, uh, <laughs> some things that he shouldn't have done. And, yeah. and he, got, he got kicked out of the association. And so that year in 07, he was down with Des Moines. But anyway, Tom Kelly, being from this area, he probably knew of Lefty Miller from St. Thomas, so he found him out in Rugby, North Dakota, pitching ball, and he, he ended up bringing him to, uh, uh, to Des Moines to pitch. Well, Lefty only got in one ball game for uh, a short period, and he didn't do well, and, and so he had a very short stay with Des Moines. And, and that he ended up going the rest of the season over in Wausau, Wisconsin, which was like a Class C pro team, and he did very well there. And there, uh, the uh, lefties stay or that really he only pitched in one game at at Des Moines, and it was quite a story and almost in itself. Uh, the uh, Des Moines team had like two double headers in uh, three days. And they were in Omaha and they were totally out of pitching, so there was no question. I mean, he, Lefty had been sitting on the bench, sitting on the bench, you know, since they brought him in. But it got to the point where they had to use him because they just didn't have any pitching with these couple double hitters. And uh, there was a, it was a, Omaha and Des Moines were like league leaders, so this was a huge game in Omaha. There were uh, Sunday doubleheader, there were 9,000 fans there. And in those days when they had a uh, sold out crowd, they kept selling tickets and they'd put the fans along the outs outfield fence or on the baselines. They would, fans would actually line up on the baselines. And if the ball was hit into the crowd, a fair ball, they got, it was an automatic two-base hit. So anyway, Lefty was sitting on the bench for the first game, and he, you know, this would have been, and he was scheduled to pitch the second game. And of course, he, he's just a young kid, and all these fans, and besides, not only a lot of fans, but they're from the opponent opposition, you know. So he, he takes the mound for the second game, and he, he got through the first inning, he, uh, he gave up a run, I guess it was. And then uh, in the second inning, he had uh, two out and a man on first. 
and then he walks three in a row. And you can just imagine the fans as he's having trouble out there just going crazy on the side, right on the baseline. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and so anyway, when he walked three in a row, uh, Kelly, the manager, pulled him out, and, and that was his career with Des Moines. And then in 08, he, he finished his schooling at St. Thomas. So th- this whole time, he is... Is he going to medical school at this time, or is he still at St. No, Thomas? No, he's still at St. Thomas, okay. yeah. So he's, undergraduate? Or, right, yeah. he started at St. Thomas in 04 and, and finished there. So he was basically a professional baseball player while in college. Um, I mean, he was getting paid to, to Right, pitch. right. Yeah. And, of course, there were no rules. Yeah, and, you know, NCAA any, wasn't exactly Anything good. goes, you know. And, yeah. But in, so then in 08, the summer of 08, then he was done with St. Thomas. And he, uh, the day he graduated or finished at St. Thomas, he went over and joined the St. Paul Saints in the American Association. And uh, he had an okay season with them. Uh, but he... Uh, Shortly into it, he uh, came down with uh, he was they were in the team was in Milwaukee, and he came down with some illness I forget what it was, and they ended up uh, while the team was still in Milwaukee they sent him back to uh, St. Paul for medical treatment and he never he never came back from that that season and uh, but before that happened on uh, July fourth. 1908, the Millers and the Saints always played a holiday doubleheader on the 4th of July and on Memorial Day and on Labor Day. They'd play the morning game in one city and the afternoon game in the other city. Well, on July 4th, 1908, Lefty got the the afternoon game in Lexington Park in St. Paul. And he uh, he won the game. He pitched well and, and, and won the game and and we have a uh, painting that we had I had done on that commemorating that day, July fourth, nineteen oh eight, with Lefty Miller on the mound. And Where did he end up going to medical school? And and I gotta think that that's it's one of those things when you talk about uh, baseball across different eras. You know, it, this was obviously a very long time ago, but it wasn't that long ago that. Um, you didn't make enough money playing baseball. Like it, it wasn't a crazy decision to choose to do something else with your life because you were never going to make that much money. Right. Um, so how did how did his medical career take off, and how did his baseball career end, or how did that all sort of shake out? He had uh, his first year then uh, out of St. Thomas. He, that summer he played with St. Paul and then got sick and didn't finish the season. And the next year. Uh, he ended up in. Now he was. He went one year of schooling at University of Illinois Chicago, and then uh, that's for that summer. I have a uh, a telegram that shows that the uh, owner of the Seattle team was picking up his contract, purchased it or whatever from the St. Paul team, so that he could play in Seattle. And uh, he had a really good year at Seattle. This would have been 1909. And uh, they were pennant winners. Uh, Trying to remember anything else. uh, I've got 
memorabilia from from that year. Like there's a a, a gold medal that each of the Seattle players got hmm. that that Miller's family still has. They, his family is in San Diego. So was this the the Seattle Rainiers? No, no. Uh, back in those days, is Seattle they they changed nicknames fairly often. Uh, is, is this Pacific Association? Or that it was Northwest League. Okay. So at that time, now this is 1909. The uh, Pacific Coast League was uh, one notch below the major leagues, and this Northwest League was a notch below that. So continuing with his schooling in the winter months uh, in Illinois, then in, in uh, 1910, he reported to Seattle again and then pitched one ball game and then got traded to Vancouver in the same league. Mm-hmm. And he had a terrific year for Vancouver. He had, he had like six shutouts. Uh, that, and he won, he won like 14 games. But see, now he had a short season because by the time he reported, they were uh, they were a month or six weeks into their season already because he was coming from his school, you know, <laughs> in Chicago. So and then that year at at the end of the two, uh, 1910 season, they had a major league draft in those days, and uh, he was drafted by the Philadelphia A's, and Connie Mack wanted him to quit his medical school and because he told him he says I can't have you you know your school time interfering with spring training and all that and uh, and but lefty refused he he knew what he wanted to do and I think at that time like you said that the pay wasn't that good and there was a lot of ruffians on these teams. I mean, some of them were outlaws, practically, I think. Looking at the pictures, it, it shows <laughs> it. Yeah. that apparently wasn't Lefty's uh, lifestyle, you know. And then uh, in 2012, he, uh, he got his degree at uh, university, medical degree, medical, medicine and surgery at the University of Illinois, Chicago. In what year? Uh, June of 2012. So then that summer, he didn't, he didn't play ball. Oh, 1912. Or 1912, <laughs> okay. yeah, right. I thought maybe it was like an honorary degree. Yeah, no. Got it. And uh, so then he came up here, and he did his interning. After he got out of the internship over in St. Paul, he set up a practice on Lake Street in Minneapolis. So he was uh, he was here for a few years. And then he went to uh, his brother, Joel, younger brother, who was also a pretty good pitcher, at one time pitched in a ball game for Minneapolis Millers, had a dental practice in Elgin, Illinois. And Lefty ended up going to Elgin to set up a medical practice. I'm sure Joe found, you know, come across some deal that, you know, he bought out of practice or whatnot. So Lefty and his family went to Elgin, Illinois, and he was there for about 10 years. And then, uh, for health reasons, he went out to uh, San Bernardino, California, where it's more desert and dry air, and he lived out his life there in San Bernardino. After doing this research on Lefty and finding out that he had this great career that nobody knew about, I mean, his family didn't know. I mean, his family out in San Diego, they knew 
that he had been in pro ball and whatnot, and he had told them little things here and there. They knew that he had been in Vancouver and Seattle, and uh, but no details. And uh, now I looked at every pro, the newspaper accounts of every pro game that he played in all of these different levels, and uh, also his summer ball out in North Dakota, and uh, so I know pretty. I know a lot about him from that, and, and I made copies of every one of those accounts. In uh, 2007, I uh, checked in over at St. Thomas to find out about the St. Thomas Hall of Athletic Hall of Fame, and they do it every three years over there, and it just so t turned up that 07 was the year that they were going to be in inducting uh, candidates. So I put together a summary and sent it over there and I mean they could hardly turn it down. This guy had such a lights out record, you know. And of course they didn't know anything about him either. You know? <laughs> but I sent them enough information that, and copies of things that they knew I wasn't BSing them, you yeah. know, that, uh, making something up. And So anyway we got into the Hall of Fame and in September of 2007 uh, Lefty's son, who was at the time 90, and Lefty's grandson and and his wife, they came to Minnesota for the Hall of Fame induction. Wow. And now that uh, son, he's going to be 100 years old this December, still living in San Diego. I still talk to him on the phone. Wow. That's so. got to be really, that must have been really gratifying feeling to know that you played a part in, yeah. in getting him some recognition that like you said I mean people just didn't even know oh, yeah, anything no, about him and his, and his family the, they're sports fans uh, and big on baseball and uh, uh, so they they loved it and of course when you're researching somebody like that and you find out that there's baseball cards I mean this is out of sight. Yeah. <laughs> so you can't see this, listeners, but Dave has a, I think it's a 1911 and a 1910 baseball card of Lefty Miller. They're yep. the the really small ones that you might recognize from like the, the Honus Wagner card or the yep. the way, I think they have a cigarette advertisement on the back. <laughs> yeah, there was Oback Tobacco Company was the one that sponsored yeah. them and, and the, they distributed them with packs of, packs of cigarettes. Yeah. You know, so. huh. <laughs> I just wanted to hit on one or two more things, um, and one thing I feel like I need to ask you about um, for those folks who haven't heard the story. Um, when I first started hearing about Darwin Knight and uh, getting some information on the history from you, one of the stories that stuck out was the story of the dog doghouse home run, and I was wondering if you could tell that story for those who have not heard yeah. it. That story was uh, in the uh, state tournament uh, program book for, la for last year, 2016, that they, they print, reprinted the story there. But, but briefly what happened, uh, uh, going, okay, the playoff game between Litchfield and Lake Jenny in uh, August of uh, 1940, they were uh, one to one in the bottom of the seventh, 
uh, Lake Jenny was at bat, and uh, John Anderson was a pitcher for Litchfield, and Bud Shastick, uh, outfielder for Lake Jenny, he caught hold of one and sent it down the left field line, and it la landed fair, and then took a wild bounce to the left, and over behind towards a restaurant that had, behind it there was a small shed and a doghouse. And the, the ball ended up squarely in the doghouse door opening. And by the time the uh, Litchfield left fielder could get over there and try to retrieve it, the Lake Jenny, uh, Bud Chastity for Lake Jenny, he had circled the bases and, and put uh, Lake Jenny ahead uh, two to one with his home run. And uh, they finished, well, big argument, of course, at the, uh, with the umpires, and, uh, but the umpires let it stand. Apparently, what had been discussed for ground rules before the game, that that area or whatever was in play, and so it, the score re remained 2-1, to one, Lake Jenny. Well, they finished the eighth and ninth innings with no, sc no further scoring, and Lake Jenny went home with a 2-1 to one uh, victory and they were to advance in the playoffs. Now the uh, this was a, a Sunday afternoon ball game and on, on the Litchfield protested to the went to the league with it and uh, that then Monday night they had a meeting uh, league officials and they both sides presented their arguments and the league officials said that well Litchfield was was wrong here that they should have. The umpires should have uh, given them a ground rule double, or, you know, at the most. And uh, so they gave Lake Jenny a chance to either play the game from that point forward with the guy on second base, or to replay the game. And they they decided they would re replay the whole game, and and they did. Then uh, uh, this was on Monday night. Then Thursday uh, at like 4 p.m. they they replayed the game at Darwin. They moved the doghouse first, and then. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and Lake Jenny won five to four, so it, oh. it was. Uh, and we've uh, we had uh, before, like the, in 2015, when we had the 75th anniversary uh, celebration, we uh, we got the story out to some of the local media, and Pat Ricey picked up on it, and he put us a nice article in the Star Tribune, you know, and. Uh, well, and speaking of news coverage, if I recall correctly, with some of the things you shared with me, um, at the time, didn't it get written up a little bit? And it sort of in those uh, kind of wacky news stories of the day, or am I... There well, was at least a little bit more coverage of it than your typical Lake Jenny Litchfield oh, game. <laughs> oh, yeah. the uh, At the time, in 1940, when it happened... I went and looked at newspaper film for all the newspapers in the area, and the St. Cloud p newspaper picked up on it big time. They ran stories two days in a row, and the Wilmer Tribune, and uh, Litchfield, Dasso, Cocado, Hutchinson, uh, they all ran little items about it that, uh, you know, some of them were talking about, you know, believe it or not, this really happened, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, so... Obviously, you've spent, you know, countless hours digging up old news stories, um, contacting various people, researching things. What about, I guess my last question would be, what about um, kind of preserving the history of, of Darwin baseball, but also maybe just the, 
the greater history of Minnesota baseball, the overlooked things, um, the forgotten things. What about preserving that and unearthing those? Um, what fulfills you about that or motivates you to keep to keep doing that? Yeah. Well, some years ago, I got really interested in, in uh, pulling together what we had, could find on the Darwin baseball history. And we, we found a lot of, not a lot, we found several pictures of old time, you know, teams and uh, we, uh, in the Darwin Museum, they were uh, putting on a small edition, and so we were able to corner one section of the new part just for baseball. So the timing worked out perfectly there, and we, uh, so we got the, uh, the Darwin Town Team Baseball History. We've got a, a lot of Lefty Miller's uh, items. And Darwin had another uh, pro pitcher in the in the late 40s, uh, Milt Gomer, that we've got some nice photos and uh, information on him. And uh, so we uh, we were fortunate at the time. We had uh, a couple families in, in Darwin that over the years had hung on to anything of that nature, of baseball history, and one of them was in the Miller family. And the other one was in a Palm family that, uh, uh, so we were able to, th you know, thank God people, not everybody threw this stuff away, you know. So we had uh, some balls, bats, and pieces of uniforms, and photos, and that uh, we got in the Darwin Museum. I tell you, we probably got the best display in Meeker County of, of town team baseball. Uh, Litchfield has got. The last time I was there, a few items, but I don't know, some, it's, it's not even on display, a lot of it. Uh, and uh, Meeker County, well, like every county in Minnesota, they've got a lot of baseball history. And, and I don't know, like the Darwin display, uh, they get a lot of people in there that come to see the twine ball. And uh, people spend a lot of time looking at some of that old baseball stuff, you know. And so it's, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's worth saving, you know. Yeah, it seems like keeping keeping the memory of Darwin baseball alive is is important to you, and you know, it's oh, absolutely, absolutely. When you do this, you're and anytime you can get somebody to read something or to look at it, you're you're telling them that something that they didn't know before, you know, and it's kind of been been there all along. But uh, uh, unless you make it a point to point it out to them or put it in front of them, uh, they'll never know. So yeah. it's it's worth doing. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, thank you so much, Dave. I really appreciate it. And uh, thanks for being on the show. That's it for this episode of Town Ball Talk. Thank you so much to our guest, Dave Kelly, and to you for listening. If you like what you hear, leave a rating and review on iTunes, where you can also subscribe to the show and get new episodes on your phone, tablet, or computer as soon as they're released. Connect with us on Twitter and Facebook, at Town Ball Talk and visit townballtalk.com to listen to old episodes or to learn more about the podcast. If you have a suggestion for a future guest or any feedback, shoot us an email at townballtalk at gmail.com. That's all for this week. Thanks again. I'm Louis Opetz.